Ten seconds, I think. Ready to go. Okay, empezamos. Let's start. Hello, everybody. Hello, the world. My name is Eric. I'm from the Belgium section of the IMT. Hola a todos. If you hear me pause, that's because we have a translation going on after every sentence in 12 different languages. This is the session on Marxism against sectarianism. Claudio Bellotti from the Italian section will be the speaker. You will see on your left hand of the screen um, all the possibilities of uh, language translations. And we also find a button for the um, schedule of the um, other sessions today, tomorrow, and uh, Tuesday. Well, without further ado, I'll ask Claudio to speak, and he's going to speak now. Claudio? Okay, thank you, Eric. Can you hear me? Thank you. Good afternoon or good night, everyone here. Buenas tardes, buenas noches. I will start with a short quote from a letter Karl Marx wrote in 1871. The international was founded in order, in order to replace the socialist or semi-socialist sects by a real organization of the working class for struggle. The original statutes and the inaugural address show this at the first glance. On the other hand, the internationalists uh, could not have maintained themselves if the course of history had not already smashed up the sectarian system. The development of the system of the socialist sects and uh, that of the real workers' movement always stand in uh, inverse ratio to each other. So long as the sects are historically justified, the working class is not yet ripe for uh, an independent historic movement. As soon as it has attained this maturity, all sects are essentially reactionary. And nevertheless, what history has shown everywhere was repeated within the international. The antiquated makes an attempt to reestablish and maintain itself within the newly achieved form. In this letter, Marx referred to the first international and the internal struggle between socialists and anarchists that ultimately ended with the dissolution of that organization. And many times, starting with the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels uh, criticized those communist and socialist tendencies, schools and sects that, pre uh, that preached socialism and their particular recipe for rebuilding society according to justice. And that was the infancy of the workers' movement. The working class had not yet developed its own independent organizations, and its aspirations and its needs were mainly expressed through the propaganda of the utopian socialists of different shades. In that sense, the struggle to move forward from that embryonic stage can be considered one, and that stage has been overcome since, since long. 
It is true that with the fall of the Soviet Union and the ensuing ideological reaction, many mass movements saw a revival of utopian ideas about how to overcome the avis of capitalism. That was particularly evident in the so-called anti-globalization movement in the early 2000s. But those ideas were generated not in the working class, but in the petty bourgeois sectors, which tried to figure out, figure out a way to resist the crushing pressure of finance capital. But sectarianism reappeared, as Marx wrote, in a new shell many times along the history of the working class and the revolutionary movement. It would be easy to list some of the features which characterize sectarian tendencies and organizations. Es fácil hacer una lista de las características de las organizaciones o tendencias sectarias. The one-sidedness, for instance. La visión sesgada de los acontecimientos. The tendency to accept only some forms of the class struggle. Tendencia a aceptar solo algunas formas de la lucha de clases. Uh, there are sects, for instance, who consider that only strikes are a real proletarian form of struggle, denying any other activity as opportunistic. Or groups that dedicate themselves exclusively to propaganda, dissociating it from any activity in the movement. Otros se dedican única y exclusivamente a la propaganda alejándose de cualquier actividad real. En... In 1935, Trotsky dealt with the question of sectarian tendencies inside those forces that were trying to build the Fourth International. And it was not the first, not the, not the last time that he had to write on this. Uh, here are some passages from this article. Every working class party, every faction, passes during its initial stages through a period of pure propaganda, i.e. the training of its cadres. The period of existence as a Marxist circle engrafts invariably habits of an abstract approach to the problems of the workers' movement. He who is unable to step in time over the confines of this circumscribed existence becomes transformed into a conservative sectarian. The sectarian looks upon life in society as a great school with himself as a teacher there. During a certain stage of development, rationalism is progressive. The, I'm cutting down the quote. The progressive stage of rationalism is repeated in every great emancipatory movement. But rationalism, or abstract propagandism, becomes a reactionary factor the moment it is directed against the dialectic. Sectarianism is hostile to dialectics, dialectics not in words, but in deeds, in action, in the sense that it turns its back upon the actual development of the working class. Ten minutes. This is Trotsky in 1935. And uh, this approach he was talking about, 
often present itself in a negative form, that is, uh, the demonization of this or that form of struggle. Be it the parliamentary struggle, the economic struggle, and so on, with the promise that if the movement stays away from them, it will be free from the danger of opportunism and degeneration. And all these mistakes, and many others, show a clear trait of idealism and subjectivism. They try to build their own working class, their own workers' movement, instead of studying and intervening in the real class struggle. Uh, by taking reality as a starting point and not any principle invented in a closed room. However, uh, I would warn against a discussion that sets off from a mere list of sectarian traits or features. Like any other political phenomenon, sectarianism is rooted in the class struggle. It is not enough to find the definition of it and to apply to a given tendency to see whether it fits or not into it. This approach, this approach is only a first step, but being uh, purely static, it cannot show the objective roots and development of that particular phenomenon. Uh, like some of the older comrades here, I have been a member of the CWI, the Committee for the Workers International, which was a Marxist organization that degenerated into a sect. And that was due both to objective and subjective reasons I will touch briefly later on. That was an example of sectarianism uh, which came about as a part of a defeat of the working class internationally. The defeat of the workers' movement at the beginning of the 80s of the last century. But history shows us other and different examples. In the founding years of the Communist International, Lenin and Trotsky had to wage a very serious and principled battle uh, against the sectarian tendency in the newly formed uh, Communist parties. That was particularly true for the German and the Italian Communist parties, but others as well, like the, Brit the British. In that case, the sectarian tendency manifested themselves among sectors of the working class and specifically of its vanguard. That is, revolutionary workers and militants who had been repelled by the betrayal, betrayal of the Second International during World War I. And galvanized by the Russian Revolution, reacted vehemently against the social democracy. They rallied to the Communist International, which, by the way, explicitly appealed the ultra-left and semi-anarchist tendencies, like the French syndicalists, the Spanish CNT or the IWW in the US, they appealed to join ranks with the international, uh, Communist International. That was absolutely, absolutely correct at that time, as the sectarian traits could be overcome with a combination of principled and democratic discussion and the living experience of the mass revolutionary movement that was developing. Lenin's masterpiece, Left-Wing Communism, and many documents and speeches from the Second and Third Congresses of the International reports the fruits of that battle, of that discussion. And big emphasis was put in explaining the need to, to sink roots in the trade unions to win the majority of the working class to the revolutionary program and perspective. To make good use of all the different fields of activity in order to build the revolutionary party. 
And the question of the united front was at the core of these debates, as well as the question of the workers' government or workers' and peasants' government, according to the different countries. 20 minutes. The underlying idea can be synthesized this way. That in order to reach the masses that still follow the reformist leaders of the social democracy and the trade unions, it is not enough just to appeal to them to leave their organizations and join the Revolutionary Party. It is necessary to address their leaders in order to reach their members. It is necessary to put before the reformist leader precise demands for united action, to reach the masses over the heads, if you like, of the reformist bureaucracy. This approach was rooted in the experience of the Russian Revolution itself between February and October 1917. At that time, the Bolsheviks, as a tiny minority in the Soviets, openly appealed to the reformist leader, defying them to take power, or inviting them to take power. In the same way, in August 1917, they applied a united front tactic to fight Kornilov's uh, attempted coup. And that tactic was absolutely essential in order to prepare the October Revolution. And of course, the United Front is not a panacea to be employed always and under any circumstance. As Trotsky remarked, it would have made uh, no sense, for instance, to appeal to the reformist leader to organize the seizure of power in October. As I said, as I said before, the ultra-left tendencies were strongly present in the Third International at uh, its inception. And the Bolshevik party itself was not immune from this tendency in 1919. The idea uh, of a communist leap was present not only amongst the left communists, that is uh, Bukharin and others. In 1921, at the third Congress of the Communist International, Trotsky explained, honestly explained, that in 1919 there was the hope that uh, capitalism could be toppled in Europe by a single assault. That the the revolution could storm and conquer uh, in a sweep the whole of the continent. But despite the great revolutionary elan with the revolutionary situation in Hungary, in Bavaria, in Italy, and so on, uh, the events gave uh, proof that in order to win the revolution in Central and Western Europe, a deeper preparation was needed. and that the Communist International had to seriously undertake this task if it was to fulfill its uh, historical task and not to degenerate uh, degenerate into a sect. In a certain sense, we could say that those uh, sectarian tendencies were a healthy reaction which reflected the growing radicalization of the best vanguard of the working class. They could be corrected, and in many cases they actually were corrected, from the infantile disorder. And that was Lenin's and Trotsky's approach. And Lenin clearly stated that even too often, the ultra-left mistakes were a retribution for the opportunistic sins of the reformist bureaucracy. Therefore, in order to understand it, it's not just a question of finding a definition of sectarianism, good for all times and all circumstances, but we must rather understand the process. The, the working class is not a monolith, is not homogeneous. Different economic conditions, different experiences will give rise to different political consciousness. There is also the pressure of other classes, like the lower strata of the petty bourgeoisie or semi-proletarian sections of the working class. 
which under certain objective circumstances can become very active and develop a confused anti-capitalist consciousness. This is certainly true in the present, present epoch when the crisis of the capitalist system destabilizes and uh, threatens their condition of existence. The so-called populism, which puzzles the progressive intellectuals, must be explained firstly by this objective basis. Uh, this movement, and I'm referring to those petty bourgeois movements who are more or less confusedly on the left, certainly have an influence on the working class. 30 minutes. Particularly when the class is not mobilized, and uh, they can create a fertile ground for impatience or hope uh, in, for easy miracles and ad adventurous trends in minority sections of the working class. In the trade union movement, we also witness many times the emergence of ultra-left tendencies to split away from the mass uh, trade unions. These phenomena did arise from different material bases. Sections of the working class can find uh, themselves in a particularly con particular condition that pushes them to act independently from, from, from the general movement. In most cases, this is a combination of objective and subjective factors. The trade union bureaucracy often act as a block for the organization of a, a given layer of the working class, particularly amongst the most oppressed and the most exploited sections. Uh, agricultural laborers, for instance, very often immigrants, living in a very, very precarious existence, are seen with uh, suspicion, are kept segregated by the reformist bureaucracy. And in many countries, they give a point of support for independent trade unions. In Spain, the SOC, the Sindicato Obreros del Campo, which later evolved in the SAT, is a good example of these militant and fighting trade unions. Uh, uh, these fighting trade unions, which can actually become majority unions in a given section, in a given industry or region, while being a minority in relation to the labor movement in general. Historically, the industrial workers of the world The, the wobblies in the U.S. are a good example of this. This has always been connected to the, the subjective action of political cadres from left-wing and sectarian organizations. In some industries and trades in different countries, we see similar developments. In the logistic uh, delivery industry, for instance, we see many examples of this sort of organizations. The fast growth of these industries through the e-commerce in recent years gave a certain bargaining power to the workforce. Well, the official trade unions quite, quite often are incapable of reaching these workers and to confront giant companies like Amazon, United Parcel Service, and so on, when they are not directly in the pocket of the management, which is often the case. In this regard, the thesis and documents of the first congresses of the Communist International are compulsory reading for all of us. The Communist International clearly stated that an active and organized Work inside the mass reformist trade unions was a duty for every communist party, and no exceptions were allowed. And uh, it warned against the splits that uh, separate the most advanced layer from the mass of the class, thus uh, facilitating their isolation and repression both from the bureaucracy, the bosses, and the state. At the same time, the Communist International stated that this formula was not to be turned into a dogma or a fetish. In those cases where the bureaucracy actively and effective, effectively 
blocked the organization of the section of the workers, the setup of independent trade unions was considered as an option, provided that it was understood by the workers and that a united front tactic was consistently employed and applied towards the majority trade unions. History shows that these militant and minority unions never develop beyond a certain point. And when they reach that limit, they lose their worker base and turn into ossified sects or disintegrate. And the only answer lies in the theoretical and political approach to this phenomenon. The, uh, uh, quite often, these uh, small radical unions are influenced uh, by another distortion, that is a tendency to confuse economic and political struggle. And just like they hope to, to bypass the obstacle of the reformist bureaucracy by setting up a separate union, 40 minutes. they hope to solve the question of the political leadership of the proletariat by using these unions as a substitute for a political party. This conception has a clear anarchist or anarcho-syndicalist origin, but at times it has been adopted by cadres of Marxist or semi-Marxist background. So it is absolutely essential for us to discuss the relationship between the economical and political struggle, both in general and at every concrete turn of the events, and as well as the relationship between the different layers of the working class and their mutual connections. Only through this constant uh, theoretical training we can effectively intervene in this field, build a, a fruitful relation with these struggles, and fight to avoid that good working class fighters are lost for the cause when the limitations and the mistakes of uh, this strategy become apparent. Uh, at the height of the mass movement, the consciousness tends to be more homogeneous. When the formerly backward stratas raise up and catch and even sometimes overlap the vanguard, and the... Pr- and the, the presence of a working-class revolutionary party can be the decisive element to bring this consciousness to the necessary level in order to face, to face the, the historical task of the conquest of power. But this is exception, because under capitalism, the normal condition is of much more dispersion, difference, and even conflicting tendencies inside the masses. And it would be yet another sectarian mistake to believe that a vanguard organization can change this through mere propaganda or even through action. The revolutionary party or tendency in these epochs has the task of carefully analyze at every juncture under any given circumstances the state of the movement to spot those progressive tendencies that manifest themselves amongst the masses and try to connect to them in order to advance advance its cause. Sectarian or ultra-left groups did in fact play a role also in mass movements, as witnessed by the example of the 60s and 70s in several countries. Italy was one clear case, but not the only one. It could also refer to revolutionary events like the Cordovazo in Argentina in 1969 and many, many others. And uh, in a very general way, we could say that most of the ultra-left tendencies in those years were originated amongst the students. And uh, the the radicalization of the youth from the the second half of the 60s was certainly an anticipation of the process going on deep beneath the surface in society, inside the working class. It was... Yeah, it was like the radicalization of the Russian youth uh, before 1905 revolution.
And that was also fueled by international in events. And in this sense, it was also distorted by the peculiar form that the colonial revolution took in the, in the post-war period. Yeah. The, the Chinese revolution, and in particular, uh, the, the Cuban revolution, the guerrilla liberation war in Vietnam were seen by the revolutionary students as a new uh, perspective uh, for the revolution. And uh, of course, the perspective of a peasant guerrilla could not appeal to the working class in Europe, and it led to tragic experiences under the form of a, a revival of terrorism at a later stage. But before that, that generation of students did actually play a role uh, in the big movements, not only in the schools and university, uh, universities, but in the working class too. There were also some cadres who had broken with the communist and socialist parties earlier, who played a leading part in those movements between 1968 and 69 in, in Italy. And for a short while, uh, paradoxically, their sectarianism, their ultra-leftism gave them an advantage on the trade union bureaucracy. 15 minutes. Uh, they maintained a lot of awfully wrong ideas and uh, a wild spontaneism above all, but this found uh, an audience in the big industrial plant, plants. The most exploited layers of the working class, uh, most of them of recent immigration from southern Italy, were suffering from low wages, discrimination inside and outside the workplaces, and uh, savage exploitation on the assembly belt during the post-war boom. And uh, they were largely neglected by the trade union bureaucracy and gave a good response to the students coming at the factory gates with the revolutionary propaganda. And so they discussed jointly with the students their conditions, their demands, and, and what to do. And actually, there was a stage in 1968 when the ultra-left groups were in a position to command an important following and to call effective strikes in some of the biggest industrial plants in northern Italy. And the tragedy was that they didn't, did not have the theoretical arsenal to understand what they were in effect doing. The unbroken thread, that is, the, the, the unbroken thread of Marxist theory was not present. And it had been cut previously, in particular by, by the role of Stalinism. Stalinism. Had they had a real Marxist grounding, uh, history could have taken a, a different path. Because the ultra-left sects were uh, in effect able to organize several thousands of young workers and students maybe 30,000 as, uh, as an overall figure at their peak. And the biggest groups had uh, five to 8,000 each, which was a small force compared to 1.5 million or more in the Communist Party, but still could have played a different role. And with an adequate, adequate tactic uh, towards the trade unions, the factory councils and the Communist Party, they could have laid the basis for the building of a small revolutionary party just like the Ordine Nuovo group in Turin in 1919-1920, was able to win the best workers' vanguard in the factory councils, which later gave an important base in the working class to the newly formed uh, Italian Communist Party in 1921. Unfortunately, the ultra-left in the late 60s did, did not possess that sort of theoretical armory. I'm not hearing the translation anymore. They proclaimed the, the death of the trade unions, they boycotted the newly formed factory councils. They glorified uh, the purely economic demands on wages as inherently revolutionary and so on. 
and so on. And so they facilitated the comeback of the trade union bureaucracy in the, in the following stage. In, a, in, a, in more recent years, there were other examples of the sectarian organizations acting as a sort of barometer of bigger events, events to come. Uh, I have uh, in mind the example of the Argentinazo of uh, 2001, the insurrection that overthrew five presidents in a couple of weeks after the financial collapse of the country. That... that That was a key link in the chain of revolutionary events, uh, which in that decade spanned from Venezuela to Bolivia, Ecuador, and uh, in one way or another touched most of the Latin American continent. A few months before that explosion, uh, the left, which in Argentina, for historical reasons, has always been composed by important sects, mainly with Trotskyist allegiance, had a, a, an expected result in the polls with an overall uh, figure of 10% or so of the votes. But as I said, it was mainly a symptom of a deeper process which expressed immediately after in a, in a full-scale insurrection and a, and a revolutionary situation. It is important to notice that despite this relatively important role, the sects in effect denied the perspective of a revolutionary, of a, of, of a revolution and of workers' power. 60 minutes. They, they, they relied on, to, on electoral tactics or cultivated their own points of support in very specific sections of the masses, like the unemployed of the Piqueteros movement for the Partido Obrero or some of the occupied factories for the PTS, which were two of the main groups. Of course, it is absolutely correct to intervene energetically amongst those sections of the working class that display uh, fighting ability. Our Brazilian section, for instance, has a, a, a proud record, a proud history of supporting and leading the struggle in occupied factories run by the workers themselves. The mistake of the sects was in giving an absolute value to a specific movement, to figure it as the working class movement and the only one. The mistake, uh, to mistake the part for the whole, if you like, and that leads inevitably to mistakes of both ultra-left or opportunistic nature. And that revolutionary situation gave rise to a discussion about the question of workers' power. And Alan Wood's article uh, that was included amongst the readings for this session deals precisely with that discussion. And while some groups like the PTS tended to minimize the scope of the movement, uh, referred to it uh, just as revolutionary days and not revolutionary situation, Others, like the Partido Obrero, spoke of a revolutionary situation, but did not draw the necessary strategy from that and uh, evaded the decisive point using the confused uh, slogan of the Constituent, uh, Constituent Assembly. And uh, in the following years, uh, electoral policies and tactics became more and more dominant, leading to a serious problem of uh, adaptation to the bourgeois state and of uh, watering down of the program and subsequently to splits and crises in these groupings. Uh, the same contradiction between an advanced layer and the mass of the working class I referred to in relation to the early years of the Communist International 
can also emerge in a, an inverse form, uh, if you like, uh, like in a mirror in different uh, circumstances. When a mass movement develops, it generates thousands or tens of thousands of new activists and new cadres. That is, people who overnightly embrace uh, the active participation in, in the movement, joining its organization, uh, people who are leaders of the masses. But when the movement begins to ebb, this layer will not necessarily be able to understand the change immediately and to act accordingly. The process is well explained in Trotsky's analysis of the 1905 revolution and is also dealt in details in Alan Wood's history of the Bolshevik party. In 1906-1907, the movement in Russia was retreating after the bloody suppression of the Moscow uprising. But while the masses were slowly retreating, a layer of the vanguard had drawn revolutionary conclusions from, from the experience of 1905 and joined the ranks of the Russian Social Democratic Workers' Party, both uh, the Menshevik and the Bolshevik wing. And this explains the, the, the fact that during the, the retreat, the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party reached its peak membership, as registered at the Congresses of 1906 and 1907. This contradiction, too, gave rise to sectarian tendencies in, inside the Bolshevik faction, such as the boycott of the elections and a semi-terrorist deviation amongst a layer of the Bolshevik activists. Some of the leaders of these factions, like Bogdanov, always had some sectarian trade and theoretical differences with Lenin. Uh, but under the different uh, conditions of 1904-1905, these were not a real danger. But in the new situation, Lenin understood that the sectarian mistakes combining with the negative turn of the objective situation could be a mortal danger for the Bolshevik tendency. And uh, condemning the Bolshevik could condemn the Bolshevik to a sectarian degeneration. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that is why, uh, while previously Lenin tolerated them, although without making the slightest uh, theoretical concession, now he went for, for a head-on clash. 70 minutes. Yeah. And that included uh, both a political battle, for instance, on the question of participation in the elections and uh, uh, legal activity in general, and also a theoretical backlash against the philosophical idealist uh, tendencies which lied at the bottom of this ultra-left uh, ultra faction. We can say that in epochs of uh, retreat and defeat, it is almost inevitable that part or even the majority of the revolutionary movement degenerate in sectarian forms. Is a as it is just not possible to, to reach the masses. The fate of the Fourth International was set by the defeats of the late 30s and the 40s, which gave uh, the, the reformists and the Stalinists uh, an iron grip on the labor movement on a world scale, and segregating the masses to, to the sidelines for a whole historical period. Well, when similar developments come about, there is room for all sorts of mistakes, notwithstanding the amount of Marxist phraseology and quotes which are written into political resolutions or leading articles on the party press. A key text that should be carefully studied by all comrades is, is uh, the program of the International, written by Ted Grant in 1970. And that document carefully traces the theoretical roots of the degeneration of the Fourth International and its capitulation to the adverse historical forces. Uh, I'm not going further on that, as I think that the session on the history of the IMT will deal 
with it in depth. On a much smaller scale, the sectarian degeneration of the CWI in the mid and late 80s had some similar traits. The general trend after the 70s was one of retreat of the working class internationally. And in Britain, the militant had attracted thousands of dedicated fighters who had drawn conclusions from the 70s, particularly about the, the limits and betrayals of reformism and also of left reformism. Losing the translator again. But uh, at the turn of the decade, the, the workers' movement began to suffer a series of important defeats, like the miners in Britain or the fiat workers in Italy in 1980 and uh, the defeat of the left coalition government in France, the defeat of the air traffic controllers' strike in the U.S. in 1981 and so on. There were many of these defeats, both on the economical and political front. And uh, that turned clashed with the previous experience. And so the contradiction expressed in the CWI and the militant, in the idea that you could advance in the same way under any objective cir circumstance by applying organizational pressure on the organization. Now, retrospectively, we characterized that epoch as one of mild reaction. But even in epochs of retreat, the processes are not homogeneous. There will be cross-currents. In the mid-late 80s, the CWI was able to intervene and even to lead mass movements like the anti-poll tax movement in Britain or the students' uh, movement in Spain in 1986-87. And while these were stunning successes, there was also a great danger uh, entailed, which only later became apparent. Because it is all too easy in such circumstances to, make, to mistake uh, one particular trend, which is moving forward, for the general and prevailing trend, which at the time was moving backwards, a, a mild reaction, as I said. For peculiar reasons, a small organization can find itself at the head of, the, of a mass movement, and of course it is duty-bound to fulfill its role as best as it can. But this does not mean that that position is won permanently, nor it means that that particular movement sets the main trend in society. Missing this point was one of the causes that contributed to the sectarian involution of the CWI and had effects on a section of our Spanish cadres uh, later on. 80 minutes. There were several other sides to that process I can't deal properly here, but one is worth quoting. Participation in uh, mass organizations in itself is not a guarantee against uh, sectarianism. The militant was a part of the Labour Party, but this did not prevent its uh, sectarian involution. In fact, uh, the, the fact that it commanded the majority in the Labour Party Young Socialists uh, at, at a certain point contributed to the bureaucratic tendencies which were linked to that method of uh, administrative pressure I refer to. There was a certain layer of so-called cadres who had emerged mainly not, not from the participation in the movement and in the building of the, on the ground, nor for their political and theoretical contribution, but rather by advancing along internal lines in the organization. And that increased the tendency to uh, an authoritarian method of leading, which proved to be a fatal weakness when a few, year, a few years later the organization was not prepared to have a real debate facing the turn in the, in the war situation in 1989 and 1991. And this sort of sectarianism had nothing progressive, nothing infantile in it, 
it was a, rather a, an ossification and all the attempts to fight it through a serious internal debate proved futile as opposition led by Ted Grant, Alan Woods and others was simply expelled in a few months. The parallel uh, is uh, with the splits that Ted Grant had to cope with in the late 30s or in 1949 or in 1965 with the so-called Fourth uh, International. The, despite Ted's uh, persistent attempt to discuss and to overcome the differences with the principal debate, that was not possible. And in all those instances, the only way the Marxist tendency could survive and reestablish itself was through a split. But in all these historical examples, Ted's method, which we are to defend, was to debate, to debate and to defend uh, the principles amongst which the question of internal democracy was not the less, the, the less important. Uh, that is the Leninist method. And it is important to notice that in 1906, Lenin was prepared to remain in a minority amongst the Bolsheviks, accepting the boycott of, of the elections, although he was against it. Even more noticeable, uh, the fact that Lenin and Trotsky on, on the eve just before the Third Congress of the Communist International in 1921, contemplated the hypothesis to be in a minority, given the strength of the ultra-left tendencies of the German and Italian Communist parties in particular. They were firmly convinced that discussion, even an internal fight, combined with experience, would show the correctness of their stand and overcome the sectarian mistakes. And I'm quoting these episodes for an important reason. Because the, the IMT today is a, a homogeneous political organization, and this was won through discussion and theoretical training. But we have entered an epoch of catastrophic events, an epoch of unprecedented crisis of capitalism, of intense class struggle, of revolution and counter-revolution. And uh, these events will test us too. We will have to face new problems, changes, sharp turns, and this will inevitably create differences and even conflicts, political conflicts. And not to think so would amount to embrace the wildest form of idealism and detachment from reality. As, as materialists, we base our actions on the objective situation as we can understand it. We know that our program, our strategy do not come just from our desire. But, but this has nothing in common with a fatalistic optimism or a uh, a passive contemplation of uh, an objective development. 90 minutes. Yeah. A few more minutes, Eric, and I sum up. The, the October Revolution was the result of the objective reality of the class struggle in Russia and on a world scale. But that became a reality only through the will, the subjective action of the Bolshevik Party and its leadership. And in the same way, the building of a new revolutionary international is an objective necessity but it is a subjective act which depends from the collective action of men and women who choose this endeavor. I have not dealt with the conditions of the sectarian galaxy, galaxy these days because the crisis is complete. It is not by chance. It is part of the preparation of the world-shaking events that are in the making. And these groups are part of the past. And the surest symptom of their crisis is that in many countries they try to join forces to build united fronts between amongst them and so on. Our uh, general relationship with uh, that world is the, the same we had in 1938 or 1965. Go your way till the end, gentlemen. 
and we will ignore you and face to the working class. We face the youth the, and the best representative of those millions of those billions of people who are facing the decay and rottenness of capitalism and will fight to find a way out. The, there is a passage in the program of the international I mentioned by Ted Grant, which I think illustrates the relationship between those two elements, the subjective and the objective, in an unsurpassed way. This is my last point, Comrade Chair. And I quote, the, the pressure of capitalism, reformism, and Stalinism in a period of capitalist upswing in the West, the temporary consolidation of Stalinism in the East, the perversions of the colonial revolution as explained in the preceding material of Stalinism, were the causes of the degeneration of all the sects claiming to be the fourth international. But an explanation is not an excuse, and necessity has two sides. In preceding history, the degeneration of the second and the third internationals, due to objective as well as subjective factors, did not justify the leaders who had abandoned Marxism. It did not justify either reformism or Stalinism. Similarly, there is no justification for the crimes of sectarianism and opportunism which had been committed by the leaders of the so-called Fourth International for more than a, an entire generation. And, uh, Congress Ted Grant was never afraid of calling things by their right name. Already in the 40s, he referred to the sections of the Fourth International as small sects, and at that time, that included the RCP, of which himself, he himself was the main political leader and theoretician. It was a sharp way to warn of the danger that even promising revolutionary organizations can fall into the blind alley of sectarianism and being lost for their histor historical task. And today, this gigantic task lies before us. The historical trend is once again mo moving forward, and we must therefore assume full responsibility for that. And I'm sure that this discussion and this school as a whole will be an important step. Thank you, comrades. Thank you very much, Claudio, for this very clarifying uh, lead-off traduction. We will pause now for um, 19 minutes. We'll reconvene at uh, 8.30 European time or 7.30 British time. Okay, here we are again. We start the discussion. Just a reminder, this is a session on um, Marxism versus sectarianism. We just heard uh, Claudio Bellotti. Before Erika from the, Amer the session of the United States uh, speaks, one announcement is um, if you want to read more about the um, tradition, the Marxist tradition and its struggle against ultra-leftism and sectarianism, we advise you to read uh, Lenin's um, excellent book on uh, the infantile disorder um, called left-wing communism. You can buy it um, straight directly on our website uh, of um, the publishing house of In Defense of Marxism called Well Reds. Now, Erika from the United States will speak. She will be followed by Joel from uh, the Canadian section. First, give her possibility to speak, which is important. I think you're active now. Erika, you can speak. Thank you, Claudio, for introducing this topic. I agree this discussion cannot be about merely naming characteristics of sectarianism. The historical examples Claudio gave are important to study. The political organizations and parties which made sectarian mistakes also have many positive lessons we can learn from. 
we are focusing on the mistakes in this discussion in hopes of avoiding them ourselves. The Bolsheviks also made sectarian mistakes. The party, which was new and more accustomed to small circle propaganda work, did not want to get involved in the apolitical Soviets, which had emerged in 1905. Only after Lenin's repeated intervention from abroad did they reluctantly try to appeal to the workers in the Soviets. But by then it was too late. There was no trust built between the Russian socialists and the workers and peasants in the Soviets. The Bolsheviks would often get kicked out of the Soviet meetings or not allowed to speak. They had cut themselves off from the masses, from the very working class to which they had swore to, sworn to lead and serve. This is the consequence of sectarianism. The Bolsheviks, thanks to Lenin, were able to overcome and correct this mistake. We do not shut ourselves off from the revolutionary people, Lenin said, but submit to their judgment every step and every decision we take. Several years and revolutions later, he was able to advise young communists in Germany and Britain about the dangers of the sectarian approach in left-wing communism and infantile disorder. In particular, he argued against the developing tendency in young communists to abstain from electoral politics altogether. They were arguing that parliamentarianism or bourgeois democracy is politically obsolete. Five minutes already. And to participate in it would be... Uh, to become opportunists or corrupt themselves. We understand that we will not be able to simply vote away private property and capitalism. A revolution is necessary. And in this sense, communists understand bourgeois democracy as historically obsolete, but it has not yet proved itself to be obsolete to the entire working class. Lenin says, whilst you lack the strength to do away with bourgeois parliament and every other type of reactionary institution, You must work within them because it is there that you will still find workers. In other words, if you cannot yet offer the workers anything better, you must use the same institutions through which the working class channels their energy. The institutions which presently actually exist, not the perfect mass revolutionary party, which only exists in the mind of the sectarian. Lenin directly advised the young British comrades to call on the workers to vote for labor against bourgeois parties. To use this election in 1920 as a platform to put forward a revolutionary program. But how do we pl apply this advice in the USA, a highly developed country with still no labor party? The absence of a labor party in the US does not mean that the working class has no illusions in electoral politics. They do not see electoral politics or bourgeois democracy as, as politically obsolete. In the, U in the U.S., there exists a vacuum in political leadership for the working class, but nature abhors a vacuum. The movement around Bernie Sanders, uh, which first emerged in, in 2016, came out of this vacuum. Yesterday, uh, Jorge Martin talked about the radicalization of younger generations who came of age during or after the 2008 economic crisis, who have only known instability, austerity, impending climate catastrophe, and, and seen mass movement after mass movement. This is the context in which the movement around Bernie Sanders emerged. His program offered reforms American workers desperately needed. A public health care system, free education, reforms that at this stage, capitalism cannot provide even in the richest country in the world. Ten minutes. We needed to connect to the working class at the level of consciousness it had reached. However, to encourage any illusions that the working class could win these reforms by working in a capitalist party would be a mistake and a lie. We engaged with Sanders supporters at rallies, events, expressing our support for these reforms. 
uh, and we called for reforms that went farther than Sanders was willing to go. We also explained why Sanders running as a Democrat crippled the struggle for these basic reforms. We did not compromise on the idea that the workers need political independence from the bourgeoisie. The day Sanders announced that he was suspending his campaign, we got over 100 submissions to our website. Um, the method we used uh, in order to arrive at this orientation to the Sanders movement was the transitional method. 13 minutes, two minutes left. Transitional. Uh, the transitional method is the result of applying Marxist philosophy, dialectical materialism to the concrete task of building a revolutionary party. The transitional method is the result of applying Marxist philosophy, dialectical materialism to the concrete task of building a revolutionary party. Um, the I will wrap up since I only have a little bit of time left. Um, dialectical materialism is the philosophy of change. Is the working class um, is not a, a monolith and, and develops non-linearly. Sectarianism finds itself disconnected from the living, ever-evolving working class because it does not base itself in dialectical materialism. It is one thing to quote Lenin, and it is another to apply the same method to different conditions. We are here to study the ideas and the method of Marxism to lead the working class to fulfill its historical role. And we are here to arm ourselves against any method which undermines this effort. Thank you very much, Erika. The next speaker will be Joel from the Canadian section. I'll activate his mic and also Joel, you can speak now. Hello. After the translation. Cool. Well, uh, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Claudio, for the great presentation. I think this question of sectarianism and sectarian attitudes uh, is very important for Marxists today. Uh, because if we look at the Marxist movement, and Marxist organizations, uh, they have never been so disconnected from the masses. That if you went back a hundred years, uh, or even less in many countries, there was an organic link uh, with Marxism and the, the masses, or at least the advanced guard of the masses. That, that most people in the labor movement, at least the activists, would have been some form of Marxist or socialist or revolutionary. Uh, but this link has been severed for many reasons. Uh, Marxist groups are generally speaking small circles, small study circles on the margins, on the edge of the movement. Uh, and it's been this way for some time. And this this is important to note because it com this situation comes with dangers that being isolated from the masses for an extended period of time, you can develop sectarian prejudices. Uh, and actually be hostile to a, the real development of the working class because it doesn't confer, it doesn't uh, fit exactly with uh, what you read in a book, for example. Uh, this was the case with the Bolsheviks uh, in Russia, actually, as Erika mentioned, who actually demanded that the Soviets in 1905 submit themselves to the party. And you, you see modern examples of this attitude in, I think, most Marxist groups or Marxist attitudes toward the Jeremy Corbyn phenomenon in Britain. Uh, Claudio mentioned um, the CWI, which in, in, in Britain basically refused to join and participate in this process, uh, which is a process of millions of people. 
which we obviously have our criticisms of Jeremy Corbyn, but to refuse to join the Labour Party at this time and support <laughs> and actively be engaged with the Corbyn supporters uh, is just sectarianism. So Marx famously said that the emancipation of the working class must be the wor- must be the work of the working class itself. That, but but the working class doesn't come onto the scene politically uh, uh, spontaneously with a perfect Marxist program, but comes to those conclusions through a long and painful struggle, uh, trying out this or that leader or party. Uh, it's been mentioned: Jeremy Corbyn, Bernie Sanders, Syriza, Francine Sumiz. Uh, and overall, the masses don't learn from reading Marxist theory like we do, but they learn through experience. Five minutes. So uh, many, many, many people now, I'd say millions of people, have learned the limits of reformism, uh, but not because revolutionaries denounced these people, uh, but through the actual experience of reformism. Um, Erica mentioned Bernie Sanders, the, the betrayal of Bernie Sanders twice now. And in Britain, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, refusal to fight the right reformists, uh, who, which has led to the situation we have now in Britain. But I think um, we will see many, many formations um, similar to the ones mentioned, uh, which don't have a perfect Marxist program for us, um, but are expressions of this mass discontent of the working class. And we cannot simply reject these out of hand, as many people do. We, we must seek for a way to connect the advanced revolutionary conclusions of Marxism with this process of development of the consciousness of the masses, which is inherently contradictory. Uh, without a flexible approach, uh, a successful revolution is actually not possible because the sectarian, non-flexible approach rejects the process of development of the consciousness of the masses. Which, which effectively makes Marxist ideas in, unable to reach the masses. To, so to sum up a bit of what I think our approach is, so we don't do what sectarians do and mistake our consciousness for the consciousness of the mass of workers. Um, we don't get frustrated that, that most workers don't agree with Marxism. Ten minutes. Which, which is actually quite common on the left. But if you're actually a Marxist, you, you would say, of course they don't agree with Marxism yet. Because Marxist conclusions are hard to swallow and people don't arrive at them overnight. So as Lenin said, we must patiently explain, as we have been patiently explaining, that it was a mistake that Bernie Sanders was in the Democratic Party. And we patiently explained all of the errors that Corbyn was making. So we, we must develop a, f- a flexible approach without abandoning our principles, because that, that would be the other danger, which is opportunism. So we must find a way to connect with the masses, their movements, their organizations, as they come into being, change, and evolve, as the masses learn. And we, and we should be confident and optimistic, because we have the benefit of Marxist theory, 13 minutes, which helps us see which way things are going, so we can be confident Uh, that the events will prove correct our perspective and the masses will come to our side. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joel. The next speaker will be Kaspar. He's a comrade from um, Switzerland. Um, Give me time to reactivate his mic. Okay, you hear me? 
I'll do what uh, Claudia said we shouldn't do. I'll try to make a list um, of the differences between Marxism and sectarianism, because I think it helps uh, me to get it to, to think about it in a clearer way. I think the first difference is that we Marxists, we have an unabridged faith in the possibility of consciousness to change on a mass scale in the relatively near future. We live in a period, in a moment, when people realize that they can't continue live like they did before. And people don't change habits and ideas easily or voluntarily, and I include myself in this. But the crisis forces people to do that. I live in Switzerland and there's a reason why people here still have illusions in capitalism and the whole regime, some illusions. Because it, it could, the system could give them a more or less stable life for, for a certain period. But Switzerland is not isolated from world capitalism and so the same processes are at work here just a little bit delayed. And if you have been to only one solidarity demonstration with the Black Lives Matter movement, you see that you feel that consciousness has already made a huge leap, especially with the youth. And, and this is only the beginning. And it's the perspective of massive changes in the near future and the potential for, for revolutionary ideas that is the main difference between Marxists and sectarians today. The sec second difference, I think, is that um, it's the huge events that people experience around the world that is destroying the old ideas. It's not thanks to us. And these ideas get smashed because they don't correspond to the world we, we live in today. And this is mostly an, an objective process that happens independently of us and is not in, in our control. But the central question is actually, what do these ideas get replaced with and how fast? This is our job and our responsibility, and I think this is the main discussion we're having here. The third difference is that sectarians have a static view of the, of the relationship of forces, and we, we, we try to have, or we have a dynamic one. We, we, we make the same observation sometimes, for example, that today most people aren't revolutionaries yet. And this observation that not all people are revolutionaries, it's true, but it's not the whole picture. Five minutes. Because the decisive feature of our epoch is that new layers get drawn into the fight and get politicized and draw radical conclusions on a, on a daily basis. And so consciousness will change exponentially and not gradually. And this is our, our chance. But the question is how to prepare. And one main question is, what do we do with the advanced layers, the ones who arrive at revolutionary conclusions first? Should they substitute the, the masses because they arrived at these conclusions first, or should they turn towards the masses? 
And I think one main point is that only because the advanced layers have already understood something, for example, that parliament is a, new, a newsless institution in our fight, we should, I'm sorry, we should not give in to their radicalism because this would um, be opportunism. But we must, we must explain to them that behind them are thousands who are on the same track, on the way to discover the same truth, but who are, have not yet arrived there. And an important part of the, of the process when, when radical ideas read for that radical ideas reach the whole masses is that the advanced layer must orient to the rest, to the, to the, to the second layer or the masses and make sure that they come at the same, to the same conclusions as fast as possible. And for this, they should not isolate themselves, which is a real risk, as Claudio explained, for example, with the, with the small unions. And, and the fifth difference is the, the consciousness that workers in struggle actually often come to the same conclusions as Marxists, but from another angle. As Joel said, they don't learn from books and theory, but from experience, experience which is often painful and cruel. And so they can and do draw revolutionary conclusions from their experience, but this takes a lot of time. Ten minutes. And to speed up this process is one of the main reasons for the existence of a revolutionary party that we defend openly a revolutionary program, a program that actually is just accumulated experience of the working class for the last 200 years. And the way we defend this program shows a difference in, in approach. Because the slogans and demands with which we intervene in struggles or strikes or, or, or political fights, these aren't ready-made finished recipes for struggle. In our, in our approach, we, we apply the method of transitional program, as Erika explained. We do propose slogans and demands to help a struggle. But we need to prove that this, um, these demands and these slogans are efficient and useful. And with this, we prove also the usefulness of Marxism. But we're not economists or syndicalists. We don't want just to help out because we're friendly. This would actually be opportunist. We always draw the attention to the limits of partial struggles that at best can win partial temporary victories. 13 minutes, two minutes left. But we don't do this in an arrogant way, not with the aim to demoralize. This is a fine line to, to sectarianism. But we're always honest and we tell the truth that is that under capitalism, there are no lasting solutions for our problem. And I think uh, uh, a fifth difference is that is the, the focus we, we put on education in, in Marxist um, theory and method. But because for us, it's not enough to be on the left or to, to unite everybody together. If we want a real unity, a stable and powerful unity, we need to unite on a set um, number of ideas and principles. Otherwise, it's an opportunist unity that breaks down at the first onslaught. So if we staunchly defend our program, it's because we're proud to have a program and to have a method. 
to have a set of ideas that can give real answers to the most pressing problems of humanity. Opportunities of all shades, including sectarians, call this principled stance sectarianism because we defend our program. But it is not. It is political honesty. And for a sixth difference, in Switzerland, the main hobby of sectarians is to, to burn and vandalize bank offices at the back of the demo from a minority position. And we don't criticize this from a moral standpoint, post standpoint but from a standpoint of method. Banks are our class enemies, or the bankers. But it's actually not true that the Swiss workers don't understand that, especially after 2008 and maybe for, some, for the first time, bankers were not seen as a national pride anymore in Switzerland, but as something despicable. So I say Marxists are not in the business of vandalizing bank offices, especially not the Swiss Marxists. We know that our historic task is to expropriate these banks and to give back the stolen profits and super profits to the workers of all the country, countries where the money comes from. And this is not only a necessary, but a realist task. But it's not for us, it's not for our organization alone to accomplish this, this as a substitute for the class. And it's only the Swiss working class that can and will do this. But for this... The conscious need for, for revolution, Marxism, needs to find a road to the Swiss workers. And for, to accomplish this, we need to avoid sectarianism or opportunism. And that's what we dedicate all our work into. And if we accomplish it, nothing can stop it, us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kasper. The next speaker will be Pedro from um, Brazil. He will be followed. Hello, comrades. Thank you for the high-level discussion. Not yet, not yet, Pedro. Okay. Right. Can I? Not yet. Wait a second. There's a problem here. Pedro, Pedro, where are you? I lost you. Wait a second. Where are you? Oh, yeah, there you are. Wait a second. Here you go. You can go. You can start. He's muted. He's still muted. Why is he muted? Wait a second again. My computer, which is... Um, Hello? That's sorry good. for them. Yeah, here you can go. Hello, comrades. Thank you for the high-level discussions. That's cool. I've been learning a lot. Well, uh, learning proposal, writing in what be done, was that a Marxist party should help from within the workers' movement to bring the socialist consciousness to the class struggle. But how to do it? And one step forward, two step back, two years before, he said the party had to delimit its boundaries, boundaries between what would be itself and what would be the working class as a whole. This certainly did not mean separating itself from the working class movement, like the illuminated ones, but whether it means to create a combat and a professional organism capable to help workers to seize political power in a favorable, favorable moment. The history proved Lenin was right. The workers cannot seize the power 
alone, without socialist consciousness. Therefore, the party of the vanguard proletariat. However, Lenin's proposal was denied by the new reformists who emerged after a bankruptcy of social democracy and also by the ultra-leftists. Along the 20th century, all over the world, the leadership of the parties, yes, of the parties with thousands of workers inside, accepted all kinds of burgers, ideas, and reivindications. They defended the existence of new vanguard, said that the working class is no longer the same, uh, and said we cannot repeat formulas of the past, and so on. A lot of them enjoyed in recent days in the Progressive International, headed by Bernie Sanders and Ioannis. The ideological boundaries between the vanguard workers and the burghers was destroyed. On the other hand, the reformists took advantage in their propaganda of the emergence of various political organizations that behaving like sects, self-proclaiming the truly forty internationals, the truly world parties of the revolution. Five minutes already. And waiting the masses to understand who is the truly leadership. But the leadership of working class can only can forge itself in the fight. The leftists, instead of being the most conscious parts of the workers' movement, instead of being, ao invés de ser a parte mais consciente do movimento operário, started highlight itself in the movement as its most revolutionary part. Being the most revolutionary party of the workers' movement was not what Marx advocated in his fight. The international Marxist standards must patiently continue to feed a spirit of party, where each comrade inside must act as part of a combat and professionalized organization. With the aim of intervening inside the workers' movement, Con el de intervenir bringing socialist but not separating the communists from the movement as a whole. Like Marx's Max, Max words, uh, I will re read now. The communists, therefore, are on the one hand, practically the most advanced and resolute section of the working class parties of every country. That section which pushes forward all others. On the other hand, they have over the great mass of the proletariat theoretically the advantage of clearly understanding the line of march, the conditions and the ultimate and the ultimate general results of the proletariat movement. Thank you, comrades. Long life to the IMT and the working class movement. Death to the capital, its governments and defenders. Thank you, Pedro. I will ask Claudio now to um, give the closing 
Remounts. Gracias, Pedro. Le pediré a Claudio que responda y cierre la discusión. Claudio. Thank you, Eric. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Loud Gracias, Eric. Okay. Thank you very much to all the comrades who contributed to this discussion. Gracias a todas las contribuciones debate. I must say that uh, uh, the the condition of the of most of uh, the sectarian groups and organizations i would say in all around the world maybe there, there are exceptions but i don't know important exception is a really unprecedented is, a, is, an, is an unprecedented crisis uh, 30 years ago when i joined the movement or 40 years ago a sectarian was uh, an ultra left was uh, mainly a young uh, student or a young uh, activist impatient uh, calling for revolution every day and maybe clashing with uh, more experienced older or even skeptic uh, workers maybe linked to the communist or socialist party and the the most of them were uh, very active very energetic maybe they burned out the, their energy in, in a short space of time but they were, were uh, always present if i look around today most of the sects uh, not to say all of them are old organization of old demoralized people whose main activity is to find excuses to do nothing This is certainly the case in, in Italy, but I, I, I'm sure that in most of the countries the Congress could confirm this. And far from preaching revolution next Monday, eight o'clock in the morning, they all are very well, well versed in the, in the argument uh, for, to explain why revolution is not possible. Neither today, nor next Monday, nor next year. And uh, in this sense, they are Uh, absolutely on the same ground as the bureaucracy, in this skepticism and in this uh, complete mistrust in the working class and in the class struggle. So when Comrade Hamid called me a couple of months ago or one month ago uh, asking me whether I could prepare this discussion, I thought I had uh, I did something something bad. I was going to be punished to deal with a, such a sorry subject. I can't hear the translation. And uh, in this sense, I, I think there is a parallel, also more on a general plane, with the situation I referred to of 1938 when with Ted Grant and the Fourth International. If the Congress read the, 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 the very good book, the, the History of British Trotskyism and the, the related political documents of those years, Uh, they will see that uh, in, uh, at that time in Great Britain, all the different Trotskyist groups uh, merged in order to become the official section of the Fourth International in, in Great Britain. But since uh, the, the, the fusion was completely unprincipled, uh, Ted Grant and, and a very small group, maybe 30 comrades, refused to participate. They, they, they were prepared to be in a minority provided that the fusion was principled on clear uh, positions that could be challenged and discussed in the, in, the, in the following stage. But since it was a, a very rotten compromise, they stayed outside. And uh, in, in the space of three or four years, the, the history showed that uh, the Workers' International League, that was the name that, uh, of the group that uh, Ted Grant and uh, Jock Huston and Ralph Lee were leading, became the strongest organization in the, in the Trotskyist movement at that time, 
in Britain while all the other groups collapsed. Where is the parallel with uh, today? F first of all, the, these sects were based upon the old generation mainly, and Trotsky himself explained that uh, uh, a generation who is defeated uh, is, uh, is doomed, if you like, it is defeated in the class struggle, and also the organizations that uh, that generation built upon its own shoulders will collapse or will uh, degenerate anyway. And, and that was the case of, of all these groups. Second, and this is very much relevant today, all the reformist organizations were completely uh, mixed with the national government because of the war, with the national coalition, and uh, their internal life was completely uh, destroyed. There was no life whatsoever because of the war, again. And so there was no mass uh, environment to work into for revolutionaries. And that, that involved also the trade unions, by the way. Thirdly, there was an enormous pressure on the working class because of the war and the crisis. And this is the case again today, of course, in different conditions for different reasons. And uh, so there was a, a, like a, a wide gap between what the working class was experiencing and the absolute impossibility to express this experience and its uh, struggle through the mass organizations, the trade unions, the labor party in that case, and so on, and the absolute need for revolutionaries to find their own way to the... Of course, they knew, Ted Grant knew, and his comrades, that they were a very small organization, that they couldn't lead the masses, they couldn't even reach the mass of the working class. But nevertheless, they systematically worked towards different industries, towards different areas of the country with the aim of establishing first routes and first links with the working class. Ten minutes. When they reached a certain strength and uh, even they were able to uh, absorb some of the remnant, remnants of the other groups, they decided to call themselves uh, a party, although they had, I think, six or eight hundred members, active members, and uh, several thousands uh, sympathizers. And so they, they, despite being such a small force, they correctly understood their task of that day, of that stage. Uh, and in the sense, they were sectarian towards the sects and they were not sectarians uh, towards the class. And of course, there are a lot of differences with that stage. And uh, this is not a perspective discussion, but certainly uh, the, the main difference is uh, the demise and the, the defeat of Stalinism internationally, which at that time was a very strong obstacle. And uh, reformism also today is a very, a very uh, is moving on a very shaky ground, on very thin ice, the reformist bureaucracy, particularly the left reformist. So I, I, I would say that today the, the danger of sectarianism doesn't, doesn't come for us and for the movement in general from these uh, leftovers of the old left and the ultra-left organization, which are really uh, no more than an appendix of the, of the reformist bureaucracies. They, they just pander to these bureaucracies, try to find some room, some place here and there. Uh, I think that most serious discussion we, we could have about the danger of, uh, at a certain stage, of uh, impatient mood and maybe some adventurous trends in mass movement like uh, Black Lives Matter, or maybe in Chile or other countries which experienced uh, recently uh, insurrectionary uh, situations. I can guess that uh, since this movement cannot achieve a, a, a victory in a short space of time, maybe in some layers, it could be developed at, at a certain stage, some adventurous trend. 
And that's why I refer to the sort of healthy sectarianism. I mean, that uh, ultra-left moods which come out from genuine fighters and genuine movements. But uh, precisely because it's uh, genuine, it's also dangerous because it is related to the real movement and can lead to serious mistakes. So we must uh, identify and engage these tendencies when they uh, present themselves on the scene. And in this sense, I must say that uh, one of the most important counterweights to the danger of uh, sectarian tendencies or ultra-left tendencies for us too is a systematic work towards the working class, towards the factories, the workplaces, the trade unions also, although I must stress that going to the working class doesn't mean just to go to the trade unions today. But we, uh, but we certainly must take on board the, the rule of the communist international that a communist organization must strive systematically to establish points of support in the uh, economic organization of the working class, that is the trade unions, to be recognized uh, as a legitimate part of that movement and uh, a voice to be heard. And uh, during the pandemic we experienced in Italy, but I, I'm sure again that this is also the experience of other comrades, that in the workplaces, uh, every comrade, any comrade, uh, the, uh, could, could uh, find an audience amongst his uh, or her colleagues discussing the question of uh, uh, security, of uh, the lockdown, how to deal with the health, uh, uh, the, the danger for the health of the working class and so on. Any comrade, even the, the less uh, trained, you didn't need to be a shop steward, a political cater. You could just speak out our position and get an audience. And precisely, oh, there is a feedback. Precisely in these conditions, someone has a microphone, an open microphone, which comes back to my ears. And uh, precisely in these conditions, we we saw that uh, handing over, uh, I mean, giving the responsibility to uh, all these commerce to act and to to discuss amongst themselves was a was a, a great tool, a great lever, uh, not only to build our forces but also to to raise uh, the political, the general political level, and to ensure that all of our debates were very closely linked to the real mood in the class and not to be uh, distorted or, or deviated by subjective uh, ideas or ideas uh, uh, elaborated in, in, the, in our closed flats where we, most of us were closed due to the lockdown. 20 minutes, Claudio. And it is absolutely true what several comrades said, I'm referring to Eric and Joel and other comrades maybe, that uh, uh, new mass movements will come out in the next stage due to this pressure from the masses. And uh, the, 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 we, could, we could say that the, the last, wa the last uh, wave of this movement, the left reformist movement uh, of Syriza, of Corbyn, of uh, Mélenchon, of Sanders, and several others, uh, uh, suffered a, a very deep and fast defeat in the last months. And uh, I think that in Spain, Podemos is uh, on the same track and uh, moving quite fast. And this confirms uh, an old law that we all always explained, that the right-wing reformists are in their own way consistent. They cling to the state, to the ruling class. They know what they are doing. They, do, they are prepared to do it at any cost, while the left reformists are much more inconsistent and in incoherent. Losing Pablo again. 
Pablo, are you there? Can't hear the translation. Ahora sí. Um, I kick myself out. <laughs> um, decía que los reformistas de izquierda incoherentes capaces. And uh, but uh, since the masses have no way out, they will uh, they will uh, create a new movements and new leaders in order to find the to find some solution. And certainly we will have to work and to orientate towards uh, this movement in the way the commerce indicated. But certainly I would, uh, I would say that this, uh, uh, these phenomena are much more unstable and short-lived than in the past. They do, they do not have the same roots that uh, left reformist uh, tendencies had uh, in, the, in the 70s or in the 60s. And I think that while we will have, of course, all the, all the method that the commerce explained in order to approach this, uh, this phenomena, uh, the, 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 the key point uh, in order to uh, not just to follow them is that we are able to establish ourselves as an independent voice in the movement, as a part of the movement, as a legitimate part of the mass movement, but with a very clear profile, with a very clear political identity, which is what we are doing now. Because uh, it is true that we are the only one who wants to understand that this movement are a partial, distorted, and uh, unfinished expression of the class struggle, of the class contradiction. And uh, uh, for, the, for the sectarian, uh, all these phenomena do not exist. They are not linked to the class struggle, because in their head, the class struggle is only what they want to, to uh, what they consider such. So if it, is, it doesn't fit to the model, it is not a real class contradiction and doesn't exist. 25 minutes, Claudio. And since it's quite late, I would like just to, to finish on one point. I spoke about the young uh, revolutionary students uh, in Italy, or, but that was the case in France or in many other countries in the 60s, in the 68 or 69. And, and when you read the reports, the memories and the, the, the books written, some of the books at least, written on that epoch, the, it's really moving in, in some way. The, the way they threw themselves towards the working class, seeing it as a, a, a point of support which could give force to their revolutionary aspiration. And if, if, if you go even much more backwards in time to the beginning of, uh, of, of the Bolshevik party, of the Marxist movement in Russia, we see something similar. Maybe the comrades have uh, heard or they can read in the, the wonderful history of Bolshevik Party by Alan Woods or the going to the people when the populists, the, the, the populist revolutionaries, young students went amongst the peasantry. And uh, they didn't go only uh, amongst the peasants. A section of them went to the, towards the factories, including uh, the uh, Plekhanov, who was uh, in charge of the... Uh, trade union or workers or factory work of the populists at that time. And the spirit, the revolutionary spirit was absolutely the same that we need today. They didn't have uh, any Marxist theory to, to guide them, to give them a, a lead and an orientation. On the contrary, they had a, a whole host of wrong theories. And also in the 60s and 70s, those students at best had some caricature of Marxist ideas, but they were actually completely confused by Maoism, by guerrillaism, by some sort of Stalinist uh, faction and so on. And, and today is not by chance that the IMT is uh, approaching and attracting so many young people, uh, students, school students, and in general young people in most of the countries. 
And this is certainly a testament of the good work our comrades are doing, but also a sign of the general process which is going on. We will continue this, we will uh, deepen this, and we will have our own going to the people, which will be going to the working class. And this time it will be with Marxist ideas, with Mar Marxist program, with Marxist tactics. And it will not end in any abortion, in any ultra-left movement, but it will end by building a real mass revolutionary party all over the world. Thank you, comrades. Thank you, Claudio. So this is the end of the um, second very successful day of uh, the International Marxist University. Yes. Um, tomorrow we'll reconvene again at uh, 1 p.m. British summer time. We invite you to uh, participate all with six uh, different uh, sessions of tomorrow. I must thank again all the translators, the speakers, and um, the technical teams, uh, which has made um, today again um, uh, a success. I'm sure already some comrades are asleep. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, see you tomorrow, um, again at the third um, day of the International Marches University. Bye-bye, comrades. Bye-bye. Ciao.